power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintain peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. Woo! It is the hottest podcast in the land, baby. It is the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio Star, Dr. Brian, smarter than your ass, Sovereign, here to talk about some tech news and much more. We actually got a very special thing we're going to do uh, towards the end of the episode that, uh, well, you'll find out what that is. And we've got a whole lot of insanity to talk about in the tech world and in some ways, really the economy. But we will be getting into that before we get into any of that. However, uh, we're going to open this show up talking about, well, as we talked about the Apple event, what, three weeks ago in September, uh, we are going to talk about the Made by Google 2022 event for the foreplay, where we usually cover the little stories, but in this case, the Made by Google event ended up being a string of little stories that I think we can get into, and I might squeeze in some conversation after that, during the foreplay. I might squeeze in some conversation around the state, not that state, the state of NFTs, <laughs> or the practically non-existent state of NFTs, or valueless anyway, which uh, predictions coming true, as Sovereign Tech often does. Regardless, let us get into the Made by Google 2022 event, um, an event that I don't think surprised much. Now, let me open this up with a little bit of a disclaimer. <laughs> This is so weird. Um, okay. So I am part of the pick. I am a, what is called a pixel super fan. Now that doesn't mean that me, Brian sovereign, that I am somehow like, Oh boy, I just gush, you know, over pixel hardware from Google or anything like that. It just means that I got invited to be a pixel super fan for whatever reason that happens to be. I don't know if it's because I'm on Google Fi. You know, I mean, I do use and have been using since launch. Um, I do use a Pixel 6 um, that as far as smartphones go, fuck smartphones, toss them into a lake of fire. But as far as they go, uh, it's a phenomenal piece of kit. I mean, it's really, 
really solid. Um, I continue to argue for like in the world of smartphones. Okay. Again, do I want to live a life without smartphones? Yes. But do we all kind of have to live with smartphones right now? At least if you're still trying to make your bank. Yeah, kind of. I mean, there's ways around it, but certainly I don't have the time to jump through those hoops. Um, and also I'm a tech journalist. So, you know, I talk about what is going on, um, and maybe we'll get into some of that conversation, you know, as, as, as we go forward, because, okay, actually let's talk a little bit about it here. Um, and th this is going to speak to a lot of what we talk about with the made by Google event. Google is no longer, if they ever truly were, I mean, what did they do? They made a web browser that became very popular at one point was really good. Not anymore, but I mean, you know, it hasn't been, it hasn't been great for fuck 10 years. <laughs> like when it started, it was awesome. So lightweight, so slick. And now it's everything that it, it, it is the problem it tried to solve anyway. Um, okay. So they made a web browser. They made, um, you know, e like Gmail, which basically just became the de facto standard for email, but it's not like they invented email. Look, the point I'm getting to is that Google is not a company that innovates, not really. And I think it's a fair point to bring up that the incentives within, and I don't think this is just Google. I think this is within Silicon Valley in general. The incentives are to innovate, but not to sustain, meaning they want you to innovate, right? And you get a promotion at Google. If you create like this, if you, you know, create some kind of quote unquote, amazing innovation, of course, that's in quotes, but then after that, what are your incentives? Okay. You got the higher, you, you know, you got the higher pay, you got the higher position and all that, but there's really no incentive at Google. And again, I would argue through much of Silicon Valley to sustain whatever it is you build. So you can innovate, but like once you've created the thing, you kind of walk away. And I think this points at why we have something like the Google graveyard where, okay, there's the incentive to make this, you know, wild new thing, uh, that seems like a great idea, but because there's no incentive to like continually develop and grow the innovation, you know, the specific innovation, um, you know, it like th these products end up getting killed off much like stadia, you know, and, and many, many others. Now this is important to bring up because I think a lot of, and even I've made the comment, I think a lot of people, and I don't blame them are of the opinion that the pixel line of devices, smartphone, watch, tablet, whatever, uh, could eventually go the way of the Dodo sooner rather than later. Like that. This is just it's no longer going to be a thing and you shouldn't really use any Google product hardware or software because you never know when it's going to go away. Minus maybe, you know, Chrome drive and Gmail. And of course, YouTube's likely not going anywhere, but then as I keep reminding everybody, Google didn't make YouTube. YouTube existed before Google bought it out. There is no innovation there. Um, I would argue ultimately there's really no innovation anywhere. Everything is and, and I, you know, I've been saying this on sovereign tech for a very long time that Silicon Valley operates on a spiral, meaning that 
you had like this kind of zero point starting point, as it were, where you had all these ideas and it was too soon for some of these ideas. So it's just, it's a, instead of like it being a ladder of innovation going straight up and they just keep innovating, innovating, innovating. You had all the ideas 40, 50 years ago. Think like the mother of all demos and maybe even some things after that, but some things, it was just too early for them. And so you just kind of keep coming back to these ideas on this spiral, right? You keep retreading the same air. Uh, and it, they make everybody, you know, companies in Silicon Valley make it sound like it's a new idea, but it's really not, you know, now they just, they're willing to give it another shot to see if it's time has come. And of course, if they don't get, uh, you know, 2 trillion users out of, you know, 7 billion people that actually exist on earth, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not you, you, whether or not they'll, they'll keep going forward with it. Okay. Even something like the metaverse, you know, fortunately, I, I, all right, I want to give a little bit of credit. We're going to talk about pixels here in a second, but I want to give a little bit of credit. Fortunately, a lot of journalists and other people who like, you know, espouse getting into the metaverse in varying ways, they admit that it's not a new idea. It's just something where money is starting to flow into it. Now, as I might get time to get into earlier, that's not entirely true. Okay. Both NFTs and metaverse, like the, those buzz terms, I mean, they, they are, that is a sinking ship, you know, and even like Facebook, who's probably the biggest, which of course, I mean, they changed the company name to meta. That's how bullish they are on the metaverse. Um, even there, what is it? Their horizon platform. Um, they can't even get their own engineers, their own employees to fucking use that thing. I mean, that, that's how bad an idea the metaverse is. And, and this is kind of, you know, the point that I've brought up, um, you know, that, that like NFTs and the metaverse are just bullshit. Again, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Fortunately, and this, this is good to lead into. Fortunately, the made by Google 2022 event really didn't touch on any of that. Uh, like th there was no real conversation around augmented reality. Not really. I mean, there's little things that they do where they team up with some company and you can make, I don't know, like Jupiter appear in front of you on your phone and, you know, things like this, but it's always, it's really not center stage and it's lower scale. And I appreciate that on their part, because I think Google is, I mean, especially as the owners of magic leap, I think they might know just how much bullshit you know, a lot of these supposed technological innovations like metaverse, uh, really are. I mean, even Microsoft is, has completely backed off of HoloLens, or at least it feels that way. Um, still have not gotten those glasses from Apple that everybody keeps expecting to drop at some point. Um, I don't know if that's ever even going to happen, at least not in the next 10 years. So in fact, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little theory. My theory is, so you have this magic date of 2030, okay, this magic year of 2030, when apparently every company on the planet will suddenly become carbon zero or carbon neutral, okay? So, you know, I mean, like every company keeps laying out that number. Google even did it during the Made by Google event, where, oh yeah, by 2030, we're going to be this, we're going to be that. Like a part of me thinks that augmented reality and metaverse that the whole reason that's even a thing right now is because that 
creates on the spreadsheets, on the balance sheets, that makes them look by 2030, if they implement it in such an amount, you know, at a certain point, at a certain year, that, you know, on paper, it will look like they are carbon neutral or carbon zero. Because, like, they're not really making all of these devices anymore, um, you know, and or like they're not taking up such and so much space or whatever. Everything is just being done virtually in a metaverse. And that will effectively make, you know, the, the theoretically make them carbon zero. Now, all that's bullshit anyway, because it's all like offset numbers and everything. They're not really going to be carbon neutral or carbon zero. And I mean, to be clear, they don't really care about the environment. If they did, they would shut down operations completely. But regardless, I think that the concept of the metaverse and AR is really that, you know, like it has to do with that, with somehow meeting this bullshit metric of, you know, being carbon neutral, which look like I'm not opposed to, you know, the concept of companies doing less damage to the environment by no means. Am I opposed to that? I just think this is bullshit. So anyway, <laughs> all of that said, uh, very, very little to none, uh, as, as far as metaverse, uh, all right, you know, with, with made by Google event. So I was talking about how I'm a considered a pixel super fan. Okay. Let's get back on track with that. Um, this means that like there, there are private groups that I can be a part of. I get invited to like private online events. In fact, they even have you basically kind of swear by an NDA. They don't have you actually sign anything. Um, but you know, like you're, if you're watching this video, you've agreed to an NDA. So kind of your signing, it's, it's sort of implicit, but anyway, um, these events are, are what they are, you know, like whatever. Um, I check them out again. You know, I'm, I'm a tech journalist. I want to see what's going on. Also, I am a pixel user, so I'd like to keep up on what the latest thing is. Um, now we're going to get into a little bit of an odd conversation that might sound kind of uh, contradictory, but I assure you that it's not as we explain it. Anyway, let's talk about what was announced at the made by Google event. Now, a huge part it, they actually announced a lot of this the day before. I'm not going to cover this hardware, um, but their Nest uh, home smart home ecosystem that Google is really big on, their IoT initiative. Of course, they didn't innovate here either because Nest was a company that existed before, you know, that and Google just acquired them. Anyway, um, you know, one of the big pushes with this is uh, Matter, which is a new communication standard for IOT devices, for internet of things devices. Um, and you know, Google's pushing really hard on this. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, first off, like IOT is bullshit. Okay. Really? Um, I do applaud that at least with the matter protocol that they, they are building in encryption. Great. Okay. I'm glad that I don't know why it took this long. As long as we've been talking about IOT, we used to even have an IOT segment on sovereign tech, just talking about the nonsense that was coming out. I don't know what took so long for us to get here. Maybe it's because Apple has completely failed with Apple kit with home kit or whatever. Uh, I don't know how, how we ended up getting here, but this is, this is where we are. Um, 
anyway, there, there was all of that. I'm not going to really get into that. And I think that by and large, other than the pixel tablet, which we'll talk a little bit about, um, there's, there's not a whole lot of whole lot to say, you know, with, with integration with this, but okay. So we had, I mean, these, all the details around these devices, other than the pixel tablet have been leaked ad nauseum, oftentimes by Google themselves. Uh, so there weren't any real surprises here at the made by Google 2022 event. Um, and, and that's okay. Like, I think that that era of, Oh, and one more thing I, that's over and, and fine, whatever. Like it's, it's a stale market anyway. So what the hell? Um, all right. So the pixel seven and the pixel seven pro, these are kind of the, the, the bigger announcements. And I think largely what most people really care about, um, the pixel seven and pixel seven pro, not a, I mean, let, let's just talk about it quickly. Not a huge leap as far as I can tell. Now, they're still like, as of this recording, you can still pre-order them. They don't actually get released until and arriving in people's hands until October 13th. Um, they, so, you know, we don't really have the reviews for them, but just based on what Google talked about and was, uh, official about, you know, we do have some interesting info, you know, as far as, as far as that goes. Um, but they do seem to be by and large incremental updates to the pixel six and the pixel six pro. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some new fit and finish to them. where like on the camera bar. There's some, you know, aluminum around it or whatever. Some metal around it. That gives it a, gives it an interesting look. It really does make these things look very star Trek. I have to admit, like they, they look really next generation, uh, as in star Trek, the next generation. And, you know, I'll give, you know, I'll applaud Google on that. I mean, this is the point that I made, like for it being a smartphone, the pixel phones, I think are probably the best looking phones out there. Like it's, it's the most gorgeous hardware, both in feel and design. Like that camera bar was just a genius move on Google's part as far as design. And of course, you know, in implementation, I mean, they're clearly and the pixel seven, I think is going to end up proving this even more. So pixel phones are clearly the best cameras on the planet. Now that, you know, in sovereign text lingo, that would actually be uh, a bug, not a feature, <laughs> right? We don't like good cameras because that's just adding to the surveillance state. But if you do like a good camera, well, these are clearly the best. They're blowing away anything Apple's doing. And I think they're giving Samsung a real run for the money, particularly when it comes to the Pixel 7 Pro, which now has a 5X optical zoom and can do like a 30X zoom. That's pretty clear. That's impressive. Like if you're into, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. So maybe the bigger announcement other than the camera is the tensor G2 processor. Um, I've applauded Google's custom, you know, custom processors, uh, where you can really see what it's doing and the features that it's adding. And, and it's the right move for Google in that, it allows them to have that synergy between software and hardware that really up until now, Apple's been the only company to genuinely, you know, enjoy, uh, where they are in complete control of the hardware and the software. That is something Google is also doing and really coming out of the made by Google 2022 event, you get the sense that Google is looking to take on Apple directly with their pixel line, like they are planning on their pixel line effectively being, 
like their version of the Apple hardware line. Will this mean that the tablet, which we still don't have a ton of details on other than it's made out of recycled aluminum and yada, 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 uh, which, Hey, great. I'm not, not complaining about that. Like I said, I give a shit about the earth. Unlike some, um, but yeah, I, now if the, is the tablet going to be like an iPad competitor? Because let us be clear here that Apple absolutely wants the iPad, especially the pro and the air. They want the iPad to be the computer. They don't want the Mac to be the computer. Um, I, you know, a part of me even feels like now everybody was applauding Apple for walking back some of the changes they made to MacBooks in the past, you know, five years or so, like the touch bar and whatever else. Um, I think the reason that they walked all that back, honestly, is because they're done innovating. You know, like, and, and they're not, in fact, this is a, a super small thing, but for those that noticed Apple's not calling MacBooks, they're not calling them notebooks anymore. Now they are actually calling them laptops. I know most people, I mean, I, I was an Apple fanboy, so I, I, I knew the deal. Um, but Apple never called them laptops uh, until now, like just now they've gone through a complete refresh on branding. Um, and I imagine the reason that they're doing that this is just a guess is eventually they're going to start calling the iPad, a notebook instead of a laptop. Right. Because I don't know about you. Like does the magic keyboard work very well for you when connected to an iPad air or an iPad pro? Does that work super well as like a lappable device? Hmm. And I mean, you might be saying to me, well, what about the M one though? The M one processor is this hot new thing. They're not going to let that go. You know, why would they dump the MacBook? Yeah. But you see, the M1, where are they putting the M1 and the M2s? They're putting them into iPads. And eventually, I'm sure they're going to get into iPhones as well. So, like, you know, <laughs> they're not exclusive to the MacBook. I, I, I don't think there's a tech journalist out there that wouldn't admit. And I've been saying this for going on about eight, nine years now, that Apple is absolutely wanting the iPad to replace, you know, the MacBook. And I think there's a good chance, you know, is that going to happen in the future? I mean, it might be a generational thing, but I think they're going in that direction. And so the pixel tablet will see most people right now are looking at it as kind of a, like a hub for your nest home ecosystem. Like we were talking about earlier. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, especially considering that they tanked the, you know, the, the, the upcoming, uh, uh, whatever pixel book you know, like the, this, this pixel branded Chromebook. I wouldn't be surprised if the pixel tablet is, is basically their iPad and eventually it's going to be their, their computer, like what, what they consider to be the, you know, their, their creative device. And the thing we'll want to watch out for in this is when Google does videos, will, will their engineers themselves be using pixel tablets as the device in front of them. And if they are, that kind of tells you, you know, what, what the company does on the inside is what they want to happen on the outside. Okay. So now they're playing a long game, like just like Apple is, you know, Apple is, I mean, the, the iPad is established, no doubt about that, but Apple is probably playing a generational game to where you get a generation 
that is not used to doing coding and everything else on a MacBook, and they're used to doing everything on an iPad, when that generation comes around, then their dream of dumping the MacBook can effectively happen. Or even if it's not totally dumping the MacBook, eventually I think the lines are going to converge where it's like the MacBook and the iPad are effectively the same thing. And that's what's going on with the iPad Pro anyway. Um, so will the pixel tablet end up doing the same thing? Is it the same direction? Yeah, I, I, I really, I think so. I, I think that's my guess. Not a whole lot to say about the tablet right now though, other than that. Um, but now let's talk about the phones. So the pixel seven, like I said, uh, you know, very incremental update. You know, the, the pixel seven pro is interesting in what it's well, with its camera, I mean, they know that that's their winner. That's their big seller. There's not a whole lot else to really talk about with that. The G2, here's the big deal with, with the smartphones or with, with the Pixel 7 series. The G2 seems to, I mean, they're claiming it's more powerful, more secure. Of course, they always say those things. Can you prove it? Hmm. I mean, I do think Pixel devices are incredibly secure as, as far as smartphones go uh, due to, you know, like custom chips and, and many other things within them and the software as well. But the main, I, I think the main argument for getting the G2 or for, for wanting something that, that is G2 powered is supposedly it's less battery draining. Okay. So it's more efficient with battery life. And that's, I'm glad smartphone companies are touting that because it seemed like for the past six, seven years, that's what everybody was asking for, but no company was giving it other than maybe Motorola with like the G power series. Anyway, uh, otherwise, like there's no real differences between the pixel six series and the pixel seven series, like the seven pro and the six pro are very comparable, um, in specs, like amount of Ram, all of that, the size of the phone, they're fucking huge. Um, the curvature, I guess on the seven pro is a little less, so it's easier to grip. Okay. Uh, not sure what their thinking is behind, you know, the curved glass. Nobody ever seems to like that. I don't know why they do it, but whatever. Uh, it, it's there. Here's, here's the thing. Okay. So if you're, if you're wondering, should you get a pixel seven? If you already have a pixel six, like what are the reasons that you should? Okay. I think the only reason you should get a pixel seven is if you want the seven pro, if you, if all you want is the pixel set, I mean, unless you're using like a pixel four, which just went out of uh, hardware support, which by the way, the seven series is going to get even more, even longer support. They're matching Samsung where originally the six series was going to get four years of security updates. The seven series is getting five or of OS updates. And yeah, anyway, and, and or yeah, so it's three, three OS updates and four years of security updates. The pixel seven is adding a year to all of that. And they're matching Samsung eventually, which is the only thing that, that Google could do. I mean, otherwise, you know, you're losing the advantage that supposedly the pixels had, which is, you know, the great, uh, software support and, you know, getting security updates and everything and OS updates really quickly because Samsung is, has been closing in on that for a very long time. Um, so you know, if, if you're two, three generations back in your pixel device and you want a new phone, sure. Get the pixel seven. Okay. Um, but really I think the only, the only thing that's interesting here with the, with the pixel seven is the camera. If you're into that and you like having optical zoom, which is a rarity, uh, on smartphones, at least five X optical zoom certainly isn't something pocketable. Um, then, you know, the pixel seven pro is interesting. 
if you're in the pixel six series, like I don't think there's any need to update right now. It's pretty clear that Google is doing a TikTok cycle, meaning that every other year is iterative. And most of Silicon Valley, like Intel, Apple, even all just about every manufacturer does this. Um, so the pixel eight will be the thing and it'll probably have a, a G tensor G three processor. That'll be the thing that will have some kind of wild new abilities. Okay. As to where a lot of the new abilities that the pixel seven series has like the new features or whatever, a lot of those are getting software wise backported to at least the pixel six line, if not even further. Um, though really the five, five, six, and seven are the only like mainly, or the only support continually, maybe the four, a, but otherwise the only continually supported, um, pixel lines, you know, that are still getting software updates and everything else from Google. So again, if you like your pixel five, or if you're rocking your pixel six, if you're not hankering for the seven pro, there's really no point to getting a pixel seven in my opinion, or buying into the seven series in general, unless you just really like, there's a part of me that's like, oh yeah, the six is great boy, I'd love the seven pro, you know, like, like there is a part of me, you know, that, that kind of thinks that way. And of course, one of the reasons to buy into the pixel line is because that is what is unique. Yes. Uniquely, uh, uniquely supported by graphene OS. If you want an actual something that is more, or at least something more secure for a mobile operating system on a smartphone. Now let's take a little time to talk about the pixel watch. Um, Honestly, not a whole lot to say here. I, I, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> unless you're making the watch and I've been saying this for years, unless you're making the watch something to completely replace the phone, it it's bullshit. Like there's, there's no point to it. it it's, it's nice, I guess, to, you know, be able to get notifications on your wrist without looking at your phone. Okay. That's a good thing, but you don't need a 300 to $400 device, which by the way, the pixel seven, uh, pricing scheme is the same as the pixel six, which kudos to, to Google for that, uh, because they're about the least expensive flagship phones out there. Anyway, you don't need a $400 device or a $300 device to get notifications. You can get, you know, a Xiaomi Mi band, right? For 40 bucks. That'll do that very well. That'll control your camera too. That uh, can actually control your music now. Oh, but it can store, you know, my podcasts or my music on the watch and all that stuff. Now I think that's great, but these things aren't coming with micro SD cards to where, you know, you could hold a lot of audiobooks or whatever else on there, especially now that like audible, uh, and I think it's still exclusive where the audible app only allows porting to an Apple watch. Like they, they're still not supporting Samsung galaxy watches or anything else to actually have an offline copy of an audiobook on the smartwatch itself, which is weird, but there it is. I'm sure there's some kind of contract around that, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see, uh, the pixel watch really making any waves. If anything, I think it's more about, it's just like the pixel buds, right? Like the earbuds, basically Google just, they want to copy Apple. Okay. And they want to copy Apple's iOS ecosystem or iPhone ecosystem or their ecosystem overall. And that's what they're doing. So even if they're not too serious about it, they need to make the comparable product for people who aren't into Apple's ecosystem to be able to buy into. Uh, 
and so, I mean, yeah, it's great that the pixel watch has, you know, LTE. So you could use it as your phone if you wanted to, but again, until these, you know, until the smartwatch is taken as a alternative to the smartphone and not a companion piece, it just, it doesn't really intrigue me, but I get what Google is doing here. So, you know, not like is, was this a really exciting event? If we're going to wrap it up here, was it a really exciting event? No, but it did show, I think Google's long-term plans. And let's talk a little bit about those long-term plans quickly. That being, if you're worried that the pixel line is going anywhere because of the Google graveyard, I don't think so. Um, in fact, I was amazed at Google's recent pushes towards not just security, that's not new and they're very good at security, but at privacy, they are pushing really, really hard on the privacy aspect of things. And, you know, here's the deal. Like, yes, Google is an ad company. They make money off of ads. They make money off of collecting data about you. Um, do they, does Google collect data on essentially every and every stock Android user out there. And I said stock Android. Okay. Uh, yeah, they, they do. However, considering how much they want to copy Apple, I think Google knows that they have to pivot somewhat in what they're doing. And, you know, Sundar Pichai was very clear that they are paring down and refocusing what the company is working on. I think they know they need to pivot a bit. I think they know that they need to be a hardware company as much as they are anything else. And so they're essentially pulling an Apple in reverse where Apple is initially a hardware slash software company creating their own ecosystem. Okay. And staying away from flighty ideas, or at least largely staying away from them. I mean, I remember when they did try to get into social media with iTunes, remember that? Remember that, that whole platform they were creating where you could connect with the artists and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that failed. <laughs> oh, everything Apple makes is gold. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, and of course, Google dallies with social media and they, they learned better and good for them. Um, but they're doing Apple in reverse. So, you know, Apple was, like I said, was saying that they're a hardware and software company who are becoming a data slash ad company, which we talked about in recent episodes of sovereign tech. Um, like they're hiring, where's that company hiring the most in their ad, uh, uh, division. That's where they're hiring. So Google's doing this in reverse. Google's an ad company. And now they are becoming a software and hardware company. Um, I think they, they're very much betting the company on the pixel line in general. Um, and I think they know what Apple plans while we, you know, while I'm technically only speculating about Apple wanting to dump their computer line entirely and have everybody on iPads. Um, I mean, again, look, what, what's, what's like one of the major updates for iPad OS 16, uh, is, is it 16? <laughs> what's their major up for when iPad OS comes out? If it's an M one powered iPad, you can connect it to an external monitor. You're telling me they don't want it to replace your computer. Why fucking even develop that if they weren't going to do that? It's just like Samsung. Samsung wants you because Samsung, Samsung Dex allows you to turn your smartphone into a computer. What does Samsung want you to do? Of course they want your smartphone to become your computer. 
And why is that? Because it's not like Samsung doesn't make laptops. They do. But what do they sell the most of? Well, the Galaxy, you know, their Galaxy line of smartphones are gangbusters. Best-selling Android smartphones in the world. You know, only just recently getting bested by iPhones. Um, you know, so when Apple looks at their spreadsheets, what do they see? They see, oh, well, our MacBooks don't sell super well. I mean, we sell them to the faithful, but they don't sell super well. But our iPads, our iPads, everybody's got a fucking iPad, right? That, that's the way they see things is that even Windows users have an iPad. So how do you get more people in the Apple ecosystem, you know, beyond just the iPhone, which granted, you know, more people are iPhone users than ever, but still those sales have got to be, you know, plateaued a bit. Uh, you know, your, your Trojan horse is the iPad. And there's really no way that Google's not seeing the analysis that I'm, you know, like coming to the same conclusions with their own analysis that my analysis comes to. So anyway, Google is copying this model. Uh, I think, I think that's abundantly clear. I think that this whole event showed that off. Uh, the point I was going to get to about the privacy with Google is, you know, they know that part of Apple's like secret sauce is their claims around privacy. Now in sovereign tech, we've called bullshit, you know, on a lot of that. But while we're calling bullshit on a lot of Apple's claims of privacy, they do do privacy better than most of the tech giants. So it becomes a question of like, if Google wants to compete with Apple, they're going to have to compete on that level as well. And I think that their long game of getting people into the pixel ecosystem, like they're already making hand over fist more than any other company on ads, you know, like they really, they could, and I think they really do. They could sell the entire pixel line at a loss, um, for a very long time and have everything. It's just like Amazon, right? Like why can Amazon sell stuff so cheap, you know? Um, or, you know, how can Amazon come out with all these wacky devices and experiment with them? Why? Because AWS is making all the money for them. So Google can make all the money with the ads just used through search anyway. And then I think they can be actually upfront and honest and bake in privacy into the pixel line overall. And, and like I said, be honest about it. Like, and, and they're not lying. Uh, are, I mean, do I think that they're still going to collect that data in some form or fashion in some way? Yes. But that's, smartphones in general anyway like smartphones are just data whores as it is and it's unavoidable okay even if you're doing graphene os and everything else and i mean you you'd have to essentially anonymize like or pseudonymize yourself or try to anonymize yourself um entirely you know to not have like egregious amounts of data collected about you there's just there's no such thing as a smartphone plus genuine privacy but within the conventional understanding of the smartphone ecosystem and certainly within claims that Apple makes, can Google match those claims that Apple makes? Yeah, I think they can. And I think they're actually being honest about that. Uh, they're not, they're not making outrageous claims, but the claims they're making, I believe it or not, I know this is going to be crazy. This is going to sound crazy coming from me, but believe it or not, I think it's actually, I think they're, they're playing on the level with that. They're being on the level. Um, that doesn't mean you should get into the pixel ecosystem. But I'm just saying that, like, I don't think that they're bullshitting about that because I don't think they have to like they really do. I mean, and this is the argument that everybody's always made about Apple. 
Well, yeah, Apple doesn't have to collect data because they make all the money off of the hardware sales, right? Okay, well, the same thing can, after a fashion, be said about Google in this case, where they don't have to collect it through the pixel line. Uh, you know, they make it all through the ads. In fact, it's almost funny. Like, <laughs> I don't think Google would actually be honest about this, but it'd be hilarious if they were. I think Google could come out and say, look, if you don't want us to collect your data, now, granted, they're, they're one of the other things they made with the Pixel 7 Pro was they're giving away their VPN for free with the Pixel 7 series, even though if you have like Google Fi or Google One, you get it anyway. But uh, so they're, they're collecting all the data through that for sure. Let's let's be clear about that. <laughs> OK, but what I was going to say was like Google could make the claim if you want privacy from Google to, away from Google buy a pick, buy a pixel device. But if you buy anybody else's, you know, with, with Google's stock Android on it, we're going to collect so much fucking data about you. Like, <laughs> and again, they wouldn't be honest about it, but I think that that's, that's a route that they could effectively go. And to be clear, you know, part of the reason that I actually believe that Google would bake in privacy to some degree, again, they're not going to go all the way where they should, but the reason I could believe that is their software developers, unlike Facebook slash metas are actually good at what they do. They're some of the best in the world as to where, like when Facebook says, yeah, we're baking in privacy. I don't believe them for a second for many reasons, but one of them is I don't think that their, their people have the chops to pull that off really well. But we also know as a company, you know, that they're ready to hand over data at the drop of a hat anyway. So all of that said, um, yeah, you know, again, Pixel smartphones are great to have because of the developer community around them. That That's it. Uh, and the Pixel 7 series looks nice for what it is. If you like the Pixel phone you have right now, there's no reason to get it. If you are in the market for a new Android phone, of course, as I've said many, many times over, you essentially, you either buy from Samsung or you buy a Pixel phone. And that's it. That's, that's the end of the conversation around what, what smartphones do you buy if you're into the Android ecosystem? You know, if you're into lineage OS and, and, and Calyx OS and whatever else, and you know, a lot of custom ROMs, totally different story. And you know what you're doing anyway. Okay. But for everyone else, yeah, you know, there's really only three smartphones on the planet. There's the galaxy series, the pixel series and iPhones. That's it. No, I really like, yeah, well, Okay. I know, I know there's one plus there's, you know, whatever Xiaomi is putting out, but anyway, in the United States, certainly, um, you got three choices that that's, that's how it goes. All right. And I've been talking about this for a while, but I think it's a good analysis of where things are going with tech companies, because eventually, as I've said, sovereign tech, we're going to kind of move a little bit away from a lot of the consumer tech. It's never going to go away completely, but there's other tech I want to talk about other things I want to get into that I think are incredibly important, especially if like me, you're an anarchist, um, you know, and you know, you're looking forward to the future. Uh, I think there's a lot of different things to talk about other than whatever latest fondle slab that Google or Apple comes out with. But this is a trajectory of where things are going. Where does Microsoft fit within all of this? Well, they've got an event coming up that I do intend to cover and we will assess that then. Um, but anyway, we'll be right back with our story of the week and more Sovereign Tech. Woo! 
Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises, but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store and more all with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the interplanetary file system? Good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com agoristhosting.com Story of the Week Now with all of that said, we've got our Story of the Week. And for our Story of the Week, I want to raise, bring a point to bear with you. How about that? Uh, that I want you to be able to take to everyone else around you. Now me, (laughs) I don't, I don't live in an echo chamber. I refuse to live in an echo chamber. Um, if I lived in an echo chamber, it's not because there are a bunch of people who will just regurgitate and repeat whatever I say to me. If I lived in some kind of echo chamber, it's because I live, I live kind of alone. (laughs) It's, It's me and Mrs. Sovereign and, and captain the cat. And, you know, he's not talking. (laughs) Actually, we're trying to get him talking with Fluent Pet. This is a very, not, not a Sovereign Tech sponsor, though I wouldn't mind if they were. Um, Very interesting teaching cats how to talk. But anyway, essentially my point is I don't really like talk to other groups of people. However, I know many other people, a lot of my listeners and whatever, they still find themselves engaging with say Democrats and Republicans or people who are of this persuasion or this ideological thinking or whatever. Um, and for those people, this is for you to get this message out because I am hearing a, I don't want to say it's a disturbing trend, but a very odd trend where, for example, because of the situation in Ukraine, there are a lot of people who refuse to purchase like any products that, that have Russian association. Um, or you have your conservatives or whoever else who are just like, I won't buy anything made in China or blah, blah, blah. And I think I was even listening to a recent episode of security now where somebody wrote in and said, Hey, should I buy a Samsung phone? Because at least it's made in South Korea because everyone else is made in China. Oh boy. (laughs) You know, like this idea of the boycott, which I am not saying like, look, that is the boycott is a powerful concept and tool. However, it is one that has become, I would argue, almost meaningless, meaning you kind of have to boycott everything if you really want to. And, and you're never going to get the, the, the masses to engage in it. You're just not. Okay. Like, cause to, to somehow like have an effective boycott against China, you're just not going to get people to throw away their computers or their smartphones. 
and, and saying, you know, buying Samsung, which I mean, that's accurate. Sure. That, okay. That's largely made in South Korea. Um, I mean, but then we got to talk about Foxconn and anyway, look, the money, the money's everywhere, but I just, so my purpose in talking about this is really twofold what I'm about to get into. Okay. One is this notion that somehow you can boycott varying countries. Okay. By buying this tech as compared to this tech, um, like that, that's just not possible. All you can do is just not buy the tech like in the abstract. You know, there's just, there's really very little way to, to get away from that. I mean, you have like the Fairphone in Europe and whatever. And, and, you know, if you start buying into those sorts of things, okay, maybe you have some kind of option there, but then, and this is where I want to disabuse you of even that notion. Um, I want to raise, this is the main point I want to raise with you. The country, you know, like every, every country is evil, Right just by their nature, if they have a government, they're evil. So that's it. Governments are evil. They're, they're unethical. They shouldn't exist. And yeah, well, anyway, I'm an anarchist. You know that, uh, I don't think I need to like spell out all the reasons behind that. There's plenty of other books and podcasts that do that job. Um, but I've often said that if there were a country that was particularly terrible and maybe the only one that would be worse than say America, Russia, you know, or, or, and some others would be Saudi Arabia, like the most evil country on the fucking planet. I've brought this up over and over again. It is insane that the United States has such great relations, great as in chummy relations with that country. When we know for a fact, without debate, the horrendous things that that country does to not only its own people, but also within its foreign policy. I mean, as far as ugly foreign policy, they might be the only country that matches the United States in despicableness of foreign policy. Now, much like we were talking about how Google has to change. Okay. And how a lot of companies, how Apple has to change. Apple knows they need to do new things. That's why they're building an ad business. Google needs to do new things. That's why they're building a hardware business, uh, like a real hardware business again on, on, on the order of what Apple does. Um, not bullshit like stadia. Okay. Uh, Facebook knows that they need to alter things. And if anything, I think Facebook's going to be the company to go. Um, I forget what exactly my prediction was in my sovereign tech 2099 episode. I think I said by 2025 that Facebook would no longer exist. Uh, that could end up becoming very true. I think because that, that company is in real fucking trouble. Um, but anyway, my point in bringing that up, look, none of these companies like right now, I think most people couldn't possibly imagine that there would be a world without Google, without Apple, without Microsoft, without Facebook, whatever. Um, but none of these companies, no company is a forever company. Amazon might come close, but ultimately no company is truly a forever company, or at least they're not forever in the limelight, right? Like IBM has kind of fallen out of the limelight when they were the Amazon of their day. Um, same with ones like AT&T and whatever. Now, you know, they're kind of afterthoughts and they have plenty of competition. Um, this is also true, you know, bringing this up that like these massive companies are having to pivot. Uh, 
Saudi Arabia, of course, a lot of their great relations that they have with the United States comes down to a steady supply of oil, right? Well, here's the, here's the deal. Like oil is, I mean, the things are in play to make oil, not the dominant source of energy and transportation and everything else. Um, you know, that it has been for the past hundred years. Uh, I mean, there, there's a real push for that now, whether the technology that exists right now, whatever Tesla's coming out with, or pick your company is bullshit. You know, what was that company that, uh, was claiming not robo taxis, even though where the fuck are those, but, uh, and they were supposed to be here in 2018. Okay. Anyway, uh, the one making like, uh, uh, electric, uh, trucks, you know, as in electric tractor trailer trucks, you know, the big trucks, um, you know, that that's bullshit. Regardless of all of that, like things are in play to remove oil from its place of dominance. So what would a country that relies upon its oil exports to exist and enjoy largesse? What is a country to do in that case? Well, they pivot much like these companies are. And Saudi Arabia is a company that I don't think enough people realize. Again, this is the point I want to get to just how much of Silicon Valley. I don't mean the tech world. I mean, specifically Silicon Valley is funded by Saudi Arabia. Now I've got a piece from courts. In fact, ironically from 2018, the year I just mentioned, just to show you that this isn't exactly anything new. This is something we've known for quite some time but I want to read from some of it, even though it's from 2018, let me assure you it's only gotten worse when you look at modern numbers, which you are welcome to look up. But the overarching point is that there's little to no company in Silicon Valley that is not funded by the billions and billions. And that's with a B billions of dollars that Saudi Arabia has put into Silicon Valley. So, well, here, let, let me read a, a little bit of, of this. This is from the, the, uh, the, the court story. So, and, and I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a, it's a lengthy piece, but I think it, it made the best case around it all. So this is the one I wanted to use. Here's a subheader. How much have Saudis invested in Silicon Valley? Quote, billions of dollars over the last five years. Remember this is from 2018. Quid estimates Saudi investors have directly participated in investment rounds totaling at least 6.2 billion since the uh, billion dollars. Since the exact composition of each round is not public, it's not possible to say how much of this money came directly from the Saudis compared to other investors participating in the rounds. But the Saudis are among the world's biggest check writers as the kingdom diversified its wealth away from dwindling oil reserves. Financial vehicles have funneled petrodollars into Western companies after signing just one such deal in 2009, at least a dozen of investments per year have been recorded by quid since two, uh, 2012. These direct investments come on top of Saudi Arabia's role as one of the world's biggest limited partners backing investment funds. Two $45 billion investments in SoftBank's venture funds in the last three years have instantly made it the world's biggest financial players in the venture world. Now, they give a full breakdown um, of the companies, like a lot of the investment firms. Now, again, these are the same investment firms that, I mean, in a massive company like SoftBank, um, you know, these are the investment firms that are funding a lot of the startups in Silicon Valley, not only startups though, but yes, that Saudi money is also going into the tech giants in varying forms. 
And really they're investing even in, especially in 2018, what at the time would have been very much the bleeding edge, like the number two investment that they were making was in virtual reality and machine learning. So algorithms and the metaverse or, you know, VR, AR, whatever, um, like they know where they're putting their money. And you think like, I mean, the, the company list includes magic leap. In fact, I think that was even before Google bought into them. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a who's who of names in Silicon Valley that they invest in. So my point here is if you're concerned and I, you know, okay. Are the Saudis expecting a return on investment? Sure. Do they have claims on what happens at board meetings and everything else? Absolutely. So here's my point. If you're concerned about Chinese products, Russian, whatever, you know, whatever boogeyman they want to throw out on that one, whatever that happens to be. And and, and, and look, I'm not even going to say that, you know, I think you're crazy for thinking those ways. Okay. I get where you're coming from, but again, you got to be abundantly clear here. All you can really do, if you're concerned about those sorts of things, like there's not an evil country that's not touching this shit. You essentially have to throw away the technology whole cloth. You got to throw it all away. You cannot, I mean, unless it's like a Linux phone, maybe, but even that's going to have parts made in China. You're going to have, you're just going to have to dump it all. But Silicon Valley to say nothing of, you know, the, the sub offices that the NSA and other alphabet soup organizations, essentially the U S government has put there in their backyards in Silicon Valley for all of the tech giants and many startups. Okay. Uh, there's that. So you're getting spied upon by the U S government, right? But not only that, so much Saudi funding is going into the Silicon Valley is going into Silicon Valley in general, billions and billions of dollars. This should bother the fuck out of you. And really like if someone wanted to walk away from these numbers and from this investment history and present and future by the, by Saudi Arabia into Silicon Valley, if someone wanted to walk away and say, well, I mean, Silicon Valley is effectively an arm of Saudi Arabia with the amount of money that they're fucking taking. I don't think you'd be wrong, but then what do you do about that? What's your reaction, right? Oh, ye who hate the terrorists and oh, ye who, you know, can't stand the Muslims or whatever. This isn't a situation where, oh, well, we'll just make our own social network or something. No fucking money. Isn't, I mean, it's in the infrastructure. You cannot avoid it. Now I've said this for, for a very long time that, you know, you can't get away say this isn't even Saudi Arabia, U S the U S government, the U S you can't get away from it. Like government money funds it like the heat map. Everything's red, everything. You can't avoid it. That doesn't, I'm not telling you that you should give up. The point I really want to make to you here is that to make the claim that Silicon Valley is fucking evil. Yes, it's fucking evil. Are you going to tell me that Tim Cook doesn't know that the Saudis are investing that Jeff Bezos, that Sundar Pichai, that take your pick uh, of, of the fucking tech giant asshat doesn't know that Saudi Arabia is investing in them. Bullshit. They don't know. And they're not turning the money down. In fact, hell they're hopping in their jet, which is likely getting filled with Saudi petrol. So I give you this information again to hopefully break some more illusions that people have.
um, because I think they're very confused and, or at the very least, they don't understand just how bad it is. But my main point that I'm going to end this off with is these people are not your friends. Does a business have to be your friend? No, it doesn't have to be your friend, but it's not that they're just not your friend. They are actively, I would argue your enemy. I mean, you know, the capitalist dipshits, I'm sorry. Um, supporters of capitalism, uh, they're right. A company doesn't have to care about you. No, they, they don't. There's no requirement for that whatsoever. I firmly agree with that. However, a company does not have to actively be working against your liberties and best interests. And I would argue with data to back it up that nearly every company, nearly every company in Silicon Valley is actively acting as an enemy against you. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Science. Outer space. Psychology. Book and movie recommendations. Fiction from the Sovereign Universe. Travels to points of mystery and the unexplained. And even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. By me, Ellen Sovereign. Along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education. The education that really matters. If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N.substack.com. The Sovereign Technica newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's choice. Now, you know, if, if I had a PayPal account, <laughs> I got banned from PayPal a while ago. Uh, I'm glad, I guess, at least that I got banned from PayPal before they decided to implement. Talk about companies being an enemy, an active enemy against you. Holy shit got a story here came in from a listener for a listener's choice from coin telegraph by uh, uh braden landrea and well here it is paypal says policy to punish users for misinformation was quote in error end quote what the hell is being talked about here i want to read this story this is easily one of the most disturbing stories um I would say that I've read all week, maybe even throughout into the entirety of 2022. And while PayPal walked back this policy around misinformation and fining people to the tune of $2,500 for the spreading of that quote unquote misinformation, which who the fuck decides what's misinformation? I mean, I, I easily, I, I'm sure I get labeled as that 
which again, I've got the data to back what the fuck I say up, or I tell you that it's speculation. Can't, if I say it's speculation, can't be misinformation, but I guarantee I would be charged $2,500. Like I would have gotten that fine on me six ways a Sunday. Anyway, fortunately, again, I've been banned from PayPal multiple times, like as in I've tried to create other accounts and I just keep getting banned. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm on a list somewhere, which doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, if in, in fact, kind of honored, <laughs> anyway, let's read the story and get the details here. Uh, online payment network, PayPal has reneged on a controversial policy that could have seen users find $2,500 for spreading quote unquote misinformation with the payment platform claiming the policy update was published quote in error end quote the now retracted misinformation clause in PayPal's acceptable, acceptable use policy, AUP was set to take effect on November 3rd, 2022, which would have expanded its list of prohibited activities to include, quote, the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials, end quote, that, quote, promotes misinformation, end quote. Uh, PayPal has since uh, told multiple outlets reporting on the clause that the uh, updated AUP went out in error and included incorrect information, clarifying that it would not find its users for spreading misinformation. Quote, PayPal is not finding people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted in our policy. Our teams are working to correct our policy pages. We're sorry for the confusion this has caused, end quote. The controversy has spread like wildfire on Twitter among both crypto and non-crypto observers with some continuing to comment on the issue even after the retraction. Oh, I'm glad they are, and I will too. But let's be clear here very quickly. They, like PayPal coming out and saying that, okay, like this, this, this policy wasn't meant to be there. It was never intended to be inserted. But some slap nuts at PayPal wrote that sentence or paragraph, whatever the fuck it was. Somebody wrote that shit down. Somebody thought that was a good idea. I don't care if it's not policy. There's somebody there who's on the high up because it couldn't have even made it onto the fucking draft if they weren't high up. I know how this goes. I know about press releases. I know about documents of this kind. I, I work in PR. I understand how this process works. I I mean, let me tell you, me, I work with the C-suite directly with pretty much every company. They have to sign every line, okay, that, that, that goes out. Like, it does not go out without their permission. You cannot imagine the amount of checks and balances involved to keep mis, quote-unquote, misinformation or, or, you know, or, uh, uh, or an accidental insertion from getting put into a draft like this. Like, there's just, there's, there's no fucking way. It couldn't happen. And this wasn't a leak. Somebody high up at PayPal, at least one person, if not more, thinks this way. And that alone, regardless if this is getting implemented or not, it doesn't matter. They do it anyway. They did it to me. They do it anyway. I mean, well, okay. They shut down your account. They don't charge you. So they didn't do that to me, thankfully, but it feels like a penalization, right? Because I certainly, when my PayPal account got shut down, I mean, I easily lost out on, you know, a stream of a fairly significant stream of revenue. 
you know, from listeners who, I mean, I still, and look, I'm not, I'm not mad at the listeners about this at all. I'm mad at fucking PayPal. I'm just saying like, and understandably like listeners are fr- frankly following my advice in not opening more accounts than they need to. And they're not interested in going to another platform. They got PayPal. It's what they got. Or if you're trying to get money from around the world, like Europe or other places, um, you know, you can't, there is no cash app or Venmo in Europe. You got to get it from PayPal if you have, like, say, European listeners or something like that. But th- this, like, really fucking hurt me when they shut that shit down. They actively have a policy against people who, well, frankly, speak truth to power. Or, in their term, misinformation. The problem here it doesn't... I'll, I'll read more of the story because there's some great points being made from people that I think are worth listening to because of the context, not normally, but in the context, I think they're worth listening to. The fact is this someone there thought this was a good idea, tried to get it implemented. Clearly this could not just get in there by mistake. And I think it's just a matter of time before this policy. I mean, it'll, if it's not just a shadow policy, it'll become policy prop likely sooner or later or something similar. Either way, they're looking to penalize people for this shit. That's not going to change just because, you know, the proper uproar that was caused over this, um, you know, well here, let me, let me read more here. Uh, David Marcus, CEO of, uh, and (laughs) not captain Kirk's son. (laughs) No, David Marcus, uh, CEO of, uh, Lightspark and former president of PayPal himself called it insanity that a private company now gets to decide to take your money. If you say something they disagree with, end quote, whoa, like I said, does the company have to care about you? No. Do they have to be your active enemy? Uh, no, <laughs> but that's exactly what they're doing. Elon Musk reading on. CEO of Tesla and former co-founder of PayPal responded to Marcus's tweet with quote, agreed end quote. Sid Powell, co-founder of Maple finance said the case at hand provides a textbook example as to why it is essential to have custody over your own funds. Quote, PayPal is a good example of why you need to custody your own funds. Your finances used to be uh, decoupled from free speech. Now custodying your own funds is the only way to safeguard your right for your, or that right for yourself. End quote. Michael Van de Pop, founder and CEO of crypto consulting and education platform eight, kept his opinion short and sweet, calling it, quote, the end of PayPal, end quote. And then he said, buy Bitcoin. Um, but anyway, the, the, now there's a, there's a dissenting uh, uh, opinion here. Um, I do want to take a moment on this point and say, yeah, like this is an argument, honestly, for crypto. I'm not going to say, I mean, Bitcoin, sure, you know, we could, it's a short list of what I would recommend, but the idea that yes, you should be custodying your own funds, meaning you need to have control of that shit, control your keys, right? Uh, you know, have ways that banks and companies can't shut down for you to transmit money, transmit value from one person to another. Uh, yeah, that's really fucking important. I mean, there's an obvious reason this is a coin telegraph story because it makes, I mean, it's just, it's the best marketing in history for cryptocurrency. Let's read on. 
But not everyone. Consider PayPal's now retracted clause to be dishonorable to its users. Melton Demurrer's chief strategy officer of digital asset uh, investment firm CoinShares said that in any event, companies have the right to choose who can use their services without explanation. Uh, whether, quote, whether explicitly stated via their terms of service or not, all sorts of companies from GitHub to PayPal to insert service provider here engage in censorship and have the right to deny service and access to anyone they choose at any time without explanation. Um, and let's see. And then there was, and if you think crypto is immune, you're either naive or willfully ignorant. She added, uh, or she said, adding, quote, currently 31% of post-merge Ethereum blocks are OFAC compliant, meaning they censor transactions associated with specific contracts and addresses on a state-sponsored list, end quote. Now, I'm glad that that got injected in, but then do you hear me arguing for using Ethereum? Never. Ever. I mean, it's a salient point to bring up. Okay, well, here, here's the first, the first thing from Meltem. So, you know, like they have the right to, a company has the right to deny service and access to anyone they choose at any time without explanation. Sure. Yes. Again, they don't have to care about you. However, they also don't actively have to work against you. They don't have to be your enemy. And that's what they're doing in this case. Now, her point that, well, if you think crypto is somehow like, uh, is immune, you know, like she said, you're either naive or willfully ignorant. I agree. However, not ever, not all cryptos created equal. And I think there are cryptocurrencies that you can take advantage of. Also, fortunately, cryptocurrencies are kind of infinitely forkable and, you know, you can keep bouncing around and bouncing around and, you know, making more kind of as you, uh, I'm not arguing for making a bunch of cryptocurrencies, but bottom line being, you can do cryptocurrencies in a way, I think that can at least make it very difficult for you to get shut out of access to your value, to your wealth. So, uh, yeah, cause again, I'm not arguing for Ethereum. I know most people would, and well, that, that shows where they're at. Um, okay. So reading on while the implementation of a fine would have been a first for PayPal, the payment giant is no stranger to deplatforming users. It isn't politically aligned with see golden stallion right here. Having cut ties with domain registrar Epic, which provided services to the Proud Boys and other far, oh, fuck them. <laughs> anyway, similarly to the broader, broader stock market, PayPal shares have plummeted 64.65% over the last 12 months, according to Yahoo Finance. Uh, and great. <laughs> I couldn't be happier. Really. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I mean, we have a theme running through this entire episode of, okay, no, companies don't have to care about you, but then again, they also don't have to be your enemy. We are at the stage. I've used these two terms, these two words, this phrase many times on Sovereign Tech. We are seeing even greater signs of it than ever before. When you are dealing with tech companies, that includes companies like PayPal, assume malevolence. Every time assume malevolence when it comes to Silicon Valley, they are guilty until proven innocent. You understand? And why is that? Because their guilt is fucking all over the place. We have <laughs> not to quote dolts like Alex Jones, but I've got the documents. We've got the documents again. There is no way bullshit, bullshit 
that PayPal is saying, oh, that was never meant to be in there. It doesn't matter if it was never meant to be in there. You've got people in the C-suite and that's gotta be where, how that got in there. You have people in the C-suite who fucking think this was a good idea. This was their idea. That should terrify you. I always tell you, don't follow the money, follow the attitude. What's the attitude on display here? The attitude on display here is that you're fucked if you go against, you know, the, the popular line. To be clear, okay, I have had my ass saved due to PayPal transactions, okay? Like, I get it. And in a pinch, like, if someone needs it and it saves your life, dynamite, all right? But that doesn't mean you owe this company any fealty. And this is a warning of what is to come. And you may want to start preparing other options, okay? On Sovereign Tech, we've basically got, we have, we have two operating standards. And that is nonconformity and noncompliance. Get ready with PayPal to no longer comply. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, baby, I know, I know. You are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Shall we play a game? Ooh, all right. Let us lay back a little. Calm down. <laughs> Let's talk some video games. Actually, we're going to talk about a movie. An upcoming uh, movie, to be exact. And it's something that actually really speaks to the power of Nintendo and fits in with much of our theme in this episode that, well, the world is changing. And even the biggest stalwart companies that you could never imagine doing anything beyond what they normally do uh, are now doing. So we're talking about Nintendo uh, and Nintendo. Actually, they recently even they acquired a company, renamed it to Nintendo Pictures. Nintendo is dead serious about making movies. Okay, about making, you know, uh, and maybe even TV series, who knows, but certainly movies. And well, we got the trailer and this was amazing that like last, I want to say it was last Thursday, Nintendo said, yeah, we're going to have a Super Mario movie direct, you know, like the Nintendo directs that we've recently reviewed on Sovereign Tech episodes. Um, now, as I said before, when Nintendo holds a direct, no matter what the fuck kind of direct it is or how small or long um they basically own the news cycle for the following four actually the previous 48 hours and from the time of announcement to 48 hours after i mean they just dominate um and it's amazing to consider that that power that they have over the news cycle uh really bled over into a movie announcement granted yeah i mean it's unique or it's it, i mean 
Okay, there have been movies made on Nintendo properties before, and that includes a previous Mario movie, which we won't really talk about here. But, <laughs> hello, Dennis Hopper. Anyway, the, the Super Mario movie that is coming soon, we assume 2023, um, with you know a loaded cast, including Chris Pratt playing Mario, uh, they did have a trailer, about two and a half minutes long. Uh, Ellen and I, we both watched it. Um, I mean, I'll just talk about it. You know, it's an animated film about Mario. The, the animation looks fantastic. Everything about it, I, I thought all of it looked great. Uh, I think Chris Pratt. I don't. I don't really have a problem with Chris Pratt, like other people do, for whatever stupid political bullshit of the second they, they that they care about. Um, but you know, I mean, Chris Pratt's good. It's just weird to hear him as Mario. Like I, I want the Mario voice you know, that we've all kind of, you know, known for, for a very long time. And that's not what we're getting. Like he's really going to have a more full on conversation. I get that you kind of have to do that. Um, I'll admit that what actually excited me in this, like I said, I, th I thought everything really looked great. We've all, we've really had gotten very little else other than the cast list. Um, and even then we weren't sure who was doing what, um, but the appearance, I mean, let's just give it away here. Uh, the appearance about two minutes in of Luigi and him acting in a very, well, A, in an environment and acting very uh, uh, Luigi's Mansion-esque, I thought was, I mean, that was the best part for me. Like, I, I, I really, that, that, I love Luigi as a character. Uh, the Luigi's Mansion games, all three are phenomenal. Some of the best games Nintendo has ever done. And that's saying something. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was the big winner for me. Um, Bowser, I thought acted like Bowser. I mean, everything about it just looked right. This is a genuine Mario movie, you know, within Mario, as we understand them, this is not, you know, the, the dinosaur world, uh, <laughs> with, with Dennis Hopper as Koopa and, and all that crap that we, you know, and John Leguizamo is, is, is Luigi and all that, um, you know, that we dealt with 30 years ago. Um, this is a real Mario film and it looks just by first blush of the trailer. Um, it very much looks like, you know, like this is, again, we're getting fidelity, right? Um, which is something that I would always worry about now. Admittedly, I am not the most excited about a Mario movie. What I am excited about, and one of the reasons I'll probably go to theaters to see this, uh, I want this movie to do insane money. Why? Because Not because I want another Mario movie. Not because I'm excited about a Mario movie. But because I want a Legend of Zelda movie. I want a Metroid movie. I want there to be a Super Smash Brothers movie at some point. I, I mean that where it's, it's fucking Avengers style action, but with Nintendo characters, that's what I want. I don't, I mean, whatever I get it. Why they did Mario first, even though I really, I think they could have easily done a Zelda movie and the thing would just do fucking gangbusters. Um, but maybe they, you know, they didn't want too much Zelda at the moment because you have tears of the kingdom coming out, you know, May 12th, 2023. Um, but that's, that's, I really hope this movie does well. Again, I didn't see anything in the trailer that bothered me. You know, you know, it actually bothers me. I'm just going to talk about this for a second. What really bothers me is, are, are these like frame by frame breakdowns, um, of these trailers. Look, Hollywood, like you can't, you can't tell shit from a trailer anymore. 
Like, you really can't. You know why? Because the studios, the movie studios, whoever, and that includes Nintendo now with Nintendo Pictures, movie studios, they can change shit up on the fly. You know, I mean, if we haven't learned this from Star Wars yet, like, where's that scene where Leia gets handed the lightsaber by Maz Kanata? Like, that never happened in The Force Awakens. Like, there is, there is literally no point to watching trailer breakdowns anymore. Uh, you can watch the trailer, I guess, but even then, don't expect, like, you're not guaranteed at all for anything that's in the trailer to actually be in the film. You're not guaranteed the tone of the trailer to actually be the tone of the film. You're not guaranteed shit. So, to, to some degree, who cares? Like, okay, it's a Mario movie. Yeah, I, I'll watch the trailer just because, I mean, honestly, just seeing Mario in action is fun. Um, but there's no point in me saying, oh, there was this and this and this and the blah, 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 you know, doing this whole breakdown because they'll just they'll completely change it like you're these youtubers are wasting their goddamn time every time they do these stupid fucking trailer breakdowns because again they'll change shit on the fly you know hollywood will so anyway that said trailer looked good it was fun i mean and it was even funny it it really really worked and uh, I, I'll admit a, a modicum of excitement on my part, you know, to, to see this. But the real excitement for me is not this movie. It's what the success of this movie will bring on from Nintendo. That being Metroid movies, Zelda movies, go down the list. That's what I'm here for. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech, and we're going to talk about some music. Woo! Journey into the far reaches of Aqua Space. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Yes, oh yes, it is time for that album of the week, and we have got a doozy. Certainly not as great as that Victorious album that we talked about a couple episodes ago, because that baby, Dinosaur Warfare Part 2, is album of 2022, without question. Uh, Though, boy, I gotta tell you, there's some great runners-up. One of those happens to be from one of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, They just released a new album... Uh, two, three weeks ago. Um, and that is none other than house of Lords, um, house of Lords, of course, fronted by James Christian, their first couple of albums actually being produced by none other than Gene Simmons. Part of the reason I'm such a huge fan because Gene Simmons brings in a very classic, classic rock sound. And I use the word classic twice. Um, and, and I just, I, I love that sound. And of course the subject matter and all that. Now, speaking of subject matter, House of Lords uh, has gone through, I mean, there was a few years where it was disbanded, where it was, you know, out of phase, as it were. And they, when they came back, James Christian, name being very apropos, uh, had become a Christian. And 
sort of turned House of Lords into kind of a quasi-Christian act, a little more explicit than Creed, but not too far off or not, 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 not going like in the Michael Bloodgood direction or anything like that, or even Striper nowhere near like, even though I'm a huge fan, I am a huge fan. I've talked about this on, uh, on Wednesday Q and A's. I'm a massive fan of like Bloodgood, uh, which rest in peace. Um, and, you know, and of course Striper, I mean, just fucking, you know, talent with, you know, talented musicians are just talented musicians, regardless of persuasion. Right. Um, anyway, so yeah, house of Lords, uh, now they didn't really like get away from their nineties sound or late eighties, nineties sound, but I, I don't know. There was always, I mean, the, the albums have been great and I've really, really liked them, but they never really got, and, and even James Christian's voice, like they never exactly had that same edge that they had in their first three or four albums. Well, I can thankfully say that with their new album, saints and sinners, uh, James Christian has that fucking edge back and like the songs are well like track two. All right. The opener saints and sinners, the title track is fantastic. Um, track two is actually called house of the Lord, not house of Lords, but house of the Lord. Yeah, whatever I expect it, but they keep going down. Uh, take it all road warrior mistress of the dark mistress of the dark is probably the best song on the album. Um, that that's the one that really got me where I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. There's that sound, you know, that we love. Um, and all the way down, I mean, you've got a good solid 11 tracks to really enjoy. Um, I was a little disappointed. So James Christian actually has been married to another famous musician that being Robin Beck, uh, for, for a long time. And she's like done some work with him. And, you know, I'm a fan of her work, you know, her hard rock stuff as well. Uh, it's a little disappointing that, I was hoping she'd make an appearance here. I haven't heard it. If she is there, it's very much in the background, but, uh, I always dug that when they would do things together. Um, but that wasn't the case with this one, but man, is this a good hard rock album? I mean, really, really solid stuff. Probably, probably of the new house of Lords. This is probably their best album, um, that, that they've done in that time frame. And, and believe me, they, they've done a lot. Like, it's not like this has been a band that's rested on its laurels. Uh, I mean, essentially from like 2000, I want to say from 2004 up, I mean, they've, they've probably put out like 10 albums, you know? I mean, that's a lot after their initial three, like that's insane. So, you know, there's a lot to appreciate from them. I mean, and they've been good albums like Saint of the Lost Souls, Indestructible, uh, Precious Metal was fantastic. You know, there's great, there's great albums to enjoy, but I think Saints and Sinners, honestly, is the best they've done uh, since they came back in 04. So anyway, um, check that out. House of Lords, Saints and Sinners, new album. I love that I get to say that they have a new album. Uh, and really, you're in for a good time. And don't mind the Christian stuff. Good hard rock is good hard rock, baby. All right, I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. From Big Finish Productions, Blake Seven. The classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. 
our hostage arrives. Which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com The Ancient and the Strange. So I had mentioned at the top that we would be doing something special in this episode. And for Ancient and the Strange, as well as the climax, because it kind of worked out this way in the most recent Wednesday Q&A, we covered, well, I covered a couple topics. Now, On the Wednesday Q&As, which are only available to Sovereign Tech patrons, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, if you want to get your hookup on that. Okay, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And you only have to sign up for a buck. If you want to do more, that's great. But to get access to the content and the Patreon-only Discord, all you got to do is a dollar, at least. Okay? Um, Anyway. So, I had gotten a question. Um, Now, on Patreon... I've been getting into, and this is why I put an ancient and the strange segment into sovereign tech prime episodes like you're listening to now. Um, but I've been getting into a lot of really weird shit, uh, in, and it comes from your questions. It's not my topics. It's you, you know, sovereign tech listeners, patrons control the Wednesday Q and a, what gets talked about. We even did a live Q and a in July that, I mean, went way out there. You know, we're talking like other dimensions, all kinds of wild shit. It was was really something. Um, So I got a question that was based off of a comment that I made on last week's Sovereign Tech Prime episode where I had said that biodiversity is the only inherent good. Okay. Um, And so I got a question in from a patron about that, wanting me to explain myself. And I did it on the Wednesday Q&A. Now, my purpose here is twofold. So I am going to play the audio, not the entire q and I'm just going to play the segment about biodiversity and explaining myself about it being the only inherent good. And then, because on Wednesday Q&As, I always do movie of the week, or I generally do a movie of the week as long as we have time. Um, I am going to have that play out in this episode as the climax, because climaxes of recent sovereign texts a lot of times have been movies so you'll hear me cover a film the film is battleship by the way from 2012 i know you might be like what the fuck is he doing talking about that well you can listen to it after i'm done talking about biodiversity and what that and its relationship really to kabbalah and why biodiversity is the only inherent good and of course we get into max sterner conversations which i know everybody loves when i do that um, all of these things coalesce but i want it to be a preview for you and perhaps an enticement to become a patron and for you to get like the content you know to to, to understand to experience the kind of content that comes along on patreon and there is more patreon only like pretty wild let's just say it pretty wild content that's going to be coming out very soon so it's a great time for you to be on board 
so you can get the latest, you know, on, on what's, you know, well, on things that we're talking about. Um, again, on Patreon, we really get into the weird, you know, and again, it's based on listener questions. If you become a patron and say you're not so into the weird, you can, of course, on the Discord channel that you can join, uh, which always has great conversations and options of where to ask things, you can always ask me to talk about tech stuff. You can ask, you get to control the show. It just so happens that the patrons seem to be very much into me talking about, uh, you know, stranger, not, not, not stranger things like on Netflix, fuck that shit, but stranger things and Kabbalah and all of this other, you know, wild stuff, uh, coming from the angle that is, I would argue rather rare, if not unique that I present. So, um, what you'll get here again is, and basically it's going to be for the ancient and the strange this week. You are going to get a pretty hearty sampling of what we do on Patreon of, of the Wednesday Q and a content, uh, and really more, or it's going to lead into much more. So I will get to that. And then I am going to actually let that ride out with the music. And so for this episode of, the, of Sovereign Tech, I will say to you, I will see you on the other side and enjoy the audio. And if you want to sign up, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. I'll see you next week. Okay, so this is going to be uh, one of the bigger topics. This is actually something. So looking at this question, um, this so the Sovereign Technica newsletter, uh, the past couple issues I've had to do, I had to diverge from the subject on, on, uh, naturism. Um, we will get back to that and we'll probably get back to that in the next issue because there's at least another three parts to that. Part three was, and I, and maybe this is what inspired me to make the comment. I think it was on a recent sovereign tech prime episode where I talked about how biodiversity is the only inherent good. Um, part three was going to be about biodiversity. So while you know, like I want to do a full write up on it and explain it a bit more. Uh, I did get this frankly entertaining, uh, email <laughs> and I figure, okay, well let, let's, let's get into it before somebody, I don't know, whatever happens, they bug out and, you know, quit their patronage or something. Cause they don't understand what I'm you're You know, they, they don't get exactly what I'm saying, though. I don't think this person would actually do that. Uh, anyway, so let, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I'll read the question. Um, but yeah, just so you know, like, yeah, I've had to write like shorter, like kind of divergent pieces for the sovereign technical newsletter, but we will get back into the naturism uh, subject because there's a lot more to say, and then we'll probably talk about pacifism after that. Uh, we'll keep building this up and well, anyway, let's read the question. Sabzu, I was stunned, stunned. I say by your comment that biodiversity is the only inherent good. I don't recall you ever talking about this before and I'm thirsty here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what could this possibly mean? Is this some kind of social contract with the earth? You are on trial, sir. And <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. Uh, anyway, so, um, oh boy. Uh, uh, let's see. You're thirsty. So <laughs> okay. Uh, is this some kind of social contract with the earth? No. No. Um, what am I trying for? I don't, I don't get that, but that, that's, it, it's still, it's still read funny. Uh, okay. So what could this possibly mean? So what, all right. What do I mean by this about biodiversity being the only inherent good? 
Um, this requires some background that I don't know that I could really do justice uh, quickly and even so much off the cuff, uh, even though I'm usually very good at, you know, defending, shall we say, my positions totally off the cuff. I make it a point to be able to do that. Um, but I'll, I'll give it I'll give it my best shot here to explain what I what I meant. Um, OK. So. What is the meaning of life? I know. <laughs> do I have the answer to that? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, the meaning of life or the purpose of human life is the the seeking and experiencing of pleasure. Of course, I come from a hedonistic worldview. That's not new to anybody. Uh, I've talked about that over and over again for years. And I still espouse that. I'll espouse that forever. Uh, I, I think some people get confused when I discuss Judaism and Kabbalah and all that uh, and think that somehow I am like espousing a, a religious dogma or some kind of conservatism when no. Um, as I've brought up over and over again, Kabbalah literally means the search for pleasure. That's what Kabbalah is about. Kabbalah is inherently hedonistic. If it were not, it would not be the axiomatic truth or, well, my axioms, the Zohar. Anyway, we, we talked about that in a, in a recent Sovereign Tech Prime. Okay. That's besides the point. You don't need the Zohar to know that hedonism, ethical hedonism, if you want to be particular, um, is the truth or what, it, what equates to truth and experience, you know, in the human condition. So here's the twist. Okay. The, the ability to experience pleasure and for there to be pleasure to even seek requires, this is partly why it itself is a pleasure is axiomatic requires life, the, and not just life, but the, the promotion of, or the promoting, I should say, not the promotion, but the, but the promoting of life of existence. Now this gets into, and we'll probably talk about this when I get into pacifism more, which is why talking about naturism first actually might, might be a good logical flow. Okay. But the taking away the removal of life, the elimination of life is anti-pleasure, anti-pleasure seeking. Now, because the instant thing that somebody says when you talk about hedonism is they say, well, what if somebody, you know, gets their rocks off killing people? Um, that is, that's not hedonism. That is self-destruction because that kind of pleasure on a long enough timeline eliminates life and thus eliminates your ability to achieve pleasure. So pleasure is only possible through creativity, through anti-entropy. You have to promote, to put it in other terms and just the promotion or promoting life, but you have to promote anti-entropy. Anti-entropy is done through the creative process, whatever that happens to be. That could be a painting. That could be writing a novel. That could be making a podcast. That could be having kids. That could be all kinds. There are plenty of ways that you can engage in anti-entropy in the creative process that pushes back destruction. Destruction cannot be hedonistic. That's impossible. Okay. 
So when somebody gets their rocks off by killing people, and that is their pleasure, that is not pleasure. That is something else. You know, maybe an easy term is self-destruction. I'm sure we could come up with some other, other terms. But you're promoting entropy at that point, not anti-entropy. You are promoting, in a very real sense, the destruction of the entire universe. Not just the ending of, you know, certain lives. Now, you know, what, what does this mean for animals? That, that's, that's a separate conversation I'm not going to get into here. Okay. So we're talking about human life right now. Or at least what it means for the human being. Okay. So. If the purpose of life is seeking and experiencing pleasure. Then again, the way you do that is by promoting anti-entropy, right? Like that's, that's how you guarantee that there are more pleasures to come, that there are pleasures to even have in the now. Okay. So, uh, what does this have to do with biodiversity? What this has to do with biodiversity is we know for a fact, this is not up to debate. This is a fact that biodiversity allows for resiliency of ecologies, of life systems in general. Diversity is a powerful, wonderful thing that in and of itself thwarts, in my opinion, thwarts entropy. Okay. But it thwarts the destructive process, right? What happens when you don't have biodiversity? I think this is an analogy I used in Sovereign Tech Prime episode, which must be when I said this most recently. But I have said this before, by the way. This is not, this is very far from the first time I've ever brought this up. But anyway, to the point. Um, you know, if you have a, like only one kind of crop, whatever that happens to be, quadratriticale, I don't care, whatever it ends up being, you have this one crop, a disease and, and, or let's say this one crop is feeding an entire region. Okay. An entire geographic area called a nation. If you want, I don't care. Okay. But let, it doesn't even have to be that big. It could be just a town and this town, you know, it, which subsists largely on quadratriticale. It's a staple of the diet. If something happened to the quadratriticale, if something happened to the wheat, they'd be fucked. They'd be starving. They'd have to figure out something else and it would just, it would completely mess up, you know, their, their lifestyle. Um, this is not uncommon, by the way. I'm like, I'm not explaining uh, an, un an unheard of or unreasonable scenario. It's a very real scenario. So if, if a disease or an insect or whatever, some kind of invasive body comes into an area that unfortunately relies solely on quadratriticale and wipes it out, what happens? Life ends, or at least a lot of life ends. People starve. So biodiversity allowing for is instead of just having quadratriticale, you also have, I don't know, you have barley, you have all kinds of things like that, that you have growing there. So that if this invasive body or strain or whatever comes into your area and it wipes out the quadratriticale, you're fine because you have other ways of making bread. You have other ways of, you know, producing food. You have other foods to choose from. Okay. This is a massive problem with globalism because you are creating like these crops or you are promoting these, like, like, I mean, look at what's going on with corn in the United States. You know, we, again, we know that biodiversity is a good thing. It allows 
not only people to regularly eat and not worry so much about invasive bodies, species, viruses, or, you know, what, what infections, whatever, uh, not infections, but, um, yeah, well, you know, infection, infected crops, like that's a thing. That's, that's a fine term to use. Okay. So we know that biodiversity is a good thing. You want as much biodiversity as you can fucking have. That creates a resilient system. A resilient system is something that continues to live. Something that continues to live continues to experience pleasure. Got it? Okay. So now you have to take this. Okay. You have to take, take this on a much larger scale. It's not just, it's not a social contract with the earth. It is about the individual's pleasure. Max Turner was 100% right. It might be the most brilliant fucking thing any human being has ever said. That is the individual is the measure of all things. This is absolutely true. Again, what is the purpose of the individual? The individual is, well, I was going to say the individual is God, which is true, but the individual, their purpose is the pursuit of pleasure. Or like Thomas Jefferson said, the pursuit of happiness, right? I, I bring this up all the time. It's amazing that he did not use the Lockean term property. He said the pursuit of happiness. Thomas Jefferson knew what the fuck he was talking about. Okay. So your purpose is that, I mean, it's the same, like, why do you inherently deserve, or, you know, why do you inherently deserve freedom? Because it's what allows for that pursuit of pleasure. The argument for freedom is, is all about pleasure. Same thing. Biodiversity, believe it or not, is all about pleasure. And that's, that's what we're getting to here. So for the individual to maximize his ability, his, her, Z's ability to, uh, uh, experience pleasure requires a maximum amount of biodiversity. Why? Because biodiversity on a universal scale is also, again, it's part of that creative process. Okay. Is also anti-entropy. In a very real sense, and, and this is where it gets into a much bigger subject, that you're literally keeping the universe from ending, right? And that's that's where we could kind of get into Kabbalistic things. And that's why it's important to bring up, okay? But this idea of repairing the universe, like that that's what the Kabbalist is, like that that's what they do, that that's like their goal in, in you know, engaging in Kabbalah. Well, again, Kabbalah means the pursuit of pleasure. <sighs> I want to be careful with how I say this because I don't want to talk about the universe. Like it's some kind of entity. It is in a way. In fact, there's a great line in Star Trek, the original series, um, when they're taking on the giant space amoeba. Okay. And McCoy says, what if our whole purpose in life is to be the immune system for the universe? There is like, that is so, that is such a stick of dynamite to drop like that. That is, that is such genius. And I, I don't know that that little show about a space amoeba had any idea at at the massive amounts of truth that they, that they laid out with that phrase, with that statement by McCoy, great character, great line, great writing. And that's, you know, now I'm not saying that your purpose, okay, you, again, your purpose is to seek pleasure. 
and this is going to sound kind of complex, all right, but you do not have to engage in Kabbalistic practice to, you know, repair the universe as it were, or to put it in Star Trek terms, to be the immune system for the universe. Okay. You don't, you don't have to do that. But when you do engage in Kabbalistic practice, that is what you're doing. Not only that, but what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is the seeking of pleasure. So, and, and this is why, like, I get a little annoyed when people are like, or thinking that somehow by espousing these Hebrew, ancient Hebrew concepts, which they're also really Egyptian concepts, but whatever. Okay. That when I'm espousing this stuff, that somehow I'm arguing for some kind of conservative, some kind of social conservatism, or that I'm arguing for some kind of like, like, Oh, follow this law, this law, this law, this, this law and all this stuff. No, 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 no. Now Kabbalah at the same time is not, you know, is not sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya. All right. But it sure as fuck isn't anything rel you know, related to like, what you may see Orthodox Jewish groups or like fundamentalist Christians engage in. And this is where, you know, at some point we have to have a conversation around what is the concept of sin? Like, what is, what exactly does that mean? Well, like I said, sin is in. And so I'm not being negative towards that. Um, but then, you know, when I brought that up before, I think was it when we were talking about Sokar, um, when I brought that up before, I was like, look, just because, sinning is good does not mean that you can go and murder people. Why? Because of what we just talked about that murder is, you know, killing people is not in itself a pleasurable act. You could argue that like biochemically it creates endorphins and what, you know, like you can make that kind of argument, but that an endorphin pleasure is so much more than just an endorphin rush. And this is where people get confused. This is why people, when they hear the term hedonism, they instantly think sex, drugs, rock and roll. Like, no, 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 no. Hedonism is so much more. It's so much more than that. I'm not saying those things can't be a part of that. Sex and rock and roll is certainly a part of my hedonism. But it's, it's not that simple. And, you know, fortunately you can, you and this is one of the areas we've talked about recently, how boy, Wikipedia kind of drops the ball a lot of times, but this is one of the areas where Wikipedia does a pretty good job and you type in hedonism and it instantly takes you to an article about ethical hedonism, talking about it from a philosophical standpoint. Uh, you know, even though philosophy is bullshit, but still it's talking about it, you know, kind of from that, from that lens. And it's a great place to start. And it is not about, you know, just, you know, drinking and, and partying and all that jazz. It's about so much more. And it's not just Epicureanism either, which not that I have a problem with Epicurus. I think he was brilliant. Okay. So to quickly round it out here, and I'm being a little overly simplistic. So if you have more questions, go ahead and ask them. And again, I am going to do a whole write up on this for the Sovereign Technica newsletter, but this is what you got to grok. The purpose of life is pleasure. Okay. Pleasure you know, which includes within pleasure, pleasure is an umbrella term within pleasure that includes the creative process that includes anti-entropy. So destruction is not a part of pleasure or the destruction of life anyway, is not a part of pleasure. Um, and you know, with that in mind, the purpose of life is pleasure. 
the way to ensure pleasure for the future is through biodiversity is like the baseline of essentially making sure that life itself can exist in the universe and perhaps to go so far as to allow the universe to exist. So that's where biodiversity is the only inherent good. There you go. There it is. Because it's not just like life. Like I said, you know, I mean, we talk about like the problem of, of invasive species and yes, invasive species is a genuine issue. You know, that like we have for centuries brought all kinds of varying uh, plant life, you know, flora and fauna, okay, all around the world to places that they were never meant to be and that the the ecosystem there uh, was was not prepared for. And we've lost so much resiliency and potentially even pleasure from the natural world uh, because effectively of our, you know, uh, uh, because of humanity's, shall we say, conquistador history, um, you know, colonial, uh, you know, yeah, colonial, colonial history, uh, as well as, um, you know, now more so like our corporate globalist history and present and seemingly future. So that's what I mean by biodiversity being the only inherent good. Okay. But I got to be super clear on this. None of that is to say that you exist for like, like that you have to promote biodiversity. Okay. You can do whatever the hell you want. That doesn't mean you're going to like live a fulfilling life, but you can do whatever the fuck you want. All right. The individual is again, the measure of all things. Nothing about that statement has changed. Nothing about that statement ever will change despite what corporatist fucks try. But if you do want a fulfilling life, I would argue that biodiversity is a key, if not the key aspect of it. And thus it is the only inherent good because we couldn't even sit here and argue about this if it weren't for biodiversity in the universe, not just on earth. It's not a social contract with the earth. There's a, there's a conversation to be had around like the idea of spaceship earth and, and so on. And, and it's, it's a fascinating thing. Um, and some aspects of it, I think are right on. You know, certainly, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about at a universal fucking level, not even galactic, universal. Biodiversity is the only inherent good. So with all that said and saying, you know, destruction bad, uh, let's talk about battleship. (laughs) We got a few minutes. We'll wrap this one up. We will get a movie of the weekend. And the movie of the week that I'm going to get in is the movie that I can't believe exists, should never be, but it is. And you know what? It's fucking fun. <laughs> I really, really like this movie. Um, and it is again, it's battleship from 2012. Uh, it is, yes, it is completely, or it is based off of anyway, inspired by, uh, the classic board game, which is one of my favorite board games of all time. Probably it's in, it's in my top five for sure. Uh, you know, nothing's going to beat risk. Risk is the ultimate board game. Uh, maybe the ultimate game, but battleship is definitely in, in, in the top five there. Uh, which by the way, if you haven't played it in a while, uh, Hasbro did a phenomenal, phenomenal job, uh, with the mobile version of that game. Um, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but there's a lot of cool shit in that, that I I think is totally worthwhile. So if you want to, if you are hankering to play a game, 
you know, popping that on your iOS device or on your Android phone or whatever, go for it. Um, anyway, so the movie, uh, battleship is, it's kind of, again, it's, it's hard to believe that this thing exists. Like who the hell thought that this was an idea who even like sold the rights for this thing to be a thing. Now I'm going to kind of hint at what might've been the plan here, because an amazing thing with the movie battleship is that it does have an end cred- credits sequence. And I could believe, and I'm saddened by this, that this didn't go through. I could believe that this movie was setting up what would be called the Hasbro verse. Now we talked about this on Sovereign Tech over the years, because for many years, Hasbro, the company, and I think Paramount were looking to bring, and, and they actually did it with comic books with IDW. They created like this continuity between mask the cartoon mask with the, you know, the cars, the shape-shifting cars and all that jazz, Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Rom, the Space Knight, uh, and I and Micronauts, I think, were in there as well. Like, like they brought all of these different 80s toy lines together into one universe. Now, they were going, they did that with IDW Comics, and it was amazing. They were going to do it as a movie series, and they were actually going to, like, kind of reboot Transformers, I guess, with this. Um, we're going to talk more about Transformers in a second. I think that Battleship was a low-key pilot for this concept of the Hasbroverse. Um, and I think that the aliens, like this movie, I'm not going to give away the plot. There's not much plot to it. it it's, it's a visual feast. And with killer music, Steve Jablonski just knocks it out of the fucking park with the soundtrack on this thing. And you get ACDC, you get all kinds of great music in it. The music's phenomenal in this movie. Visuals are fantastic. Um, but there's not much plot, but anyway, aliens come down and you know, whatever, like these, these varying navies, it's not just the U S Navy, the Japanese Navy's involved and they've, they've got to do something about this, you know, alien species that have dropped their own, effectively their own battleships, um, near Hawaii on planet earth. Um, and I, I am, I'm guessing that that alien race, which we don't learn much about in the movie, was going to be the main villains for the Hasbro verse at some point. But again, it never, it never got there. Um, I haven't read like a Wikipedia article on the movie. Um, even though I really should, because again, I really enjoy this film. So let me give you the, the elevator pitch of why I enjoy this movie. Basically, like I mentioned transformers earlier. Okay. So the, the Bruckheimer, uh, uh, transformers movies, like I, I like the first one, I actually like the first one a lot, but then the rest of the movies just completely fall apart. They're, they're totally mind numbing. Now that's okay. Why? Or it it can be okay. It could have been okay. If it weren't, if they weren't attached to the transformers franchise, that's, I mean, transformers two and three are genuinely horrible. You know, like they're really horrible films that don't make any sense with what the fuck's going on. Like, they would have been better off just doing what battleship did and don't even bother explaining anything. Just have the action and get it done. And that's the thing. So like the visuals and the style and a lot of the, just like the mind numbing action and everything, uh, or mind blowing, I should say. And I really think it was for the transformers movies. Like I totally dig that. I think that's great. Having this just over the top explosions everywhere, blah, blah, you know, like that, that that's awesome. I could imagine myself being a huge fan of the Transformers movie franchise if it wasn't Transformers. If it was anything else, I probably would love that series. But 
it's Transformers. And so there's expectations and there's things you need to live up to and they don't. They're, they're shit. And also like the continuity in these movies just make no sense. Again, like I said, they, they would have been far better off. Don't bother with the story. Just, just have it be the giant robots doing their business. Okay. Battleship is effectively what I want out of the Transformers movies where no, we we're not really bothering much with plot. We're not really like worrying about that, but we're going to get that kick-ass music. We're going to have tremendous action. We're going to have like visuals that just blow your mind. We're going to have, you know, giant shit shooting at each other and all that. And that's what it is. And it works, you know, and it's re and it's really, really like, it, it's just, it's a cool movie. I mean, fuck the military. Of course. I, I say that as loud as anyone else, but I mean, come on, you got Liam Neeson playing an admiral in this thing. You know, and that, that's the thing, too. Like, I mean, you have Rihanna's in it, which is kind of strange. There, there's a lot of actors who either were big names or were going to become big names in this film. Uh, like Rami Malek's in it. I, I mean, you barely see him, but he's in it. Uh, and, 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 and there's some others. And again, it's just a good time. Like, turn your brain off. It's just a good time. You know, like, and that that's really my argument for it. It's really... It, t it took the Transformers movie series formula, but removed it from, uh, you know, like any franchise that mattered. And so you just get to enjoy it for what it is with no expectations. And I think it pun intended blows away those expectations. Um, they even have a very clever way of bringing in the game itself. You know, they don't bring in the board game, uh, physically, but the elements of like water displacement and all this stuff, they bring all of that in. And it works really well. Like, I don't think you could do a, imagine being told, Hey buddy, we need you to make a movie out of this board game, out of battleship. Like, I don't think anybody could do, could do better. Like Peter Berg, again, again, like home run for what it is. Like if it took itself any more seriously, I wouldn't have liked it, you know, because I get what its source material is. <laughs> it doesn't need to, you know, again, it doesn't need to be Citizen Kane. Fuck that shit. Anyway. Um, and, and there's other parts of it that I really dig. Like, uh, like I, obviously I love, you know, the use of ACE, the very, uh, very, <laughs> uh, judicious. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, they use a lot. Uh, the use of ACDC is fantastic. Um, I particularly love where they, they basically unmoor the, the, you know, USS Missouri and, use that against this like hyper advanced alien spaceship and everything's analog on it. I love that. Like just that attitude. It doesn't matter if it's military or not. I, forget about that part. Just the abstract concept of taking something like ancient and, you know, something legendary and just taking it to, to town on something like hyper advanced and beating the advanced thing. It's so great. Like I, I and, and, and to do that with like ACDC music in the background, fucking right, man. Like it's just, and there's even some cool quotes in the movie. Like I, I really, really like this film. Um, I don't want to say that I'm going to, it's not like a 10 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10 for what it is. Um, in many ways. I mean, some of the actors could have been a little bit better, but you do get some big, like I said, there's some heavyweights in there. Uh, there, there's a couple things maybe I would have changed, but overall, like, I think it really, really works. Um, on the grand scheme of movies. I mean, I easily give it a seven out of 10 maybe even an eight out of 10, just because it goes for it with full sincerity. doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. It's fucking sincere. And so you buy it and you ride. I love that so much. Uh, such a fun movie. Yep. Fuck the military. Fuck the military. 
but there's nothing in this movie <laughs> that, that like is remotely very much like you know the the actual military i mean anyway i dig it i i i, I you're in for a treat if you can enjoy like a dumb movie where the action delivers, the music's all there, the style is there. You can dig a, su- a style over substance film. You're in for a great time with Battleship from uh, from 2012. So, okay, um, I think I will wrap up this Q and A at that. Of course, Sovereign Tech Prime episode to come not long after. And uh, well, get your questions in. You know how to do it. I will see all of you on the other side.